0: sure i clear myself some space here um we're gonna read the scripture first so uh, if you have your bibles go ahead and open up to matthew chapter 2 for me oh sorry chapter 1 i apologize matthew chapter 1 verses 20 through 25 and as always the words will be on the screen uh so if you don't have your bibles that's where you can find it chris you can probably just lower the subs and then that'll probably do it there's a lot of bass Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. But when he had considered this, this is Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord Through the prophet, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates means God with us. And so Joseph woke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, so fortunately or unfortunately, f- depending on the way you look at it, in this season of Christmas, I, being a parent of, of a couple of you know, pre-K kids and whatnot, I'm inundated with Christmas sermons and devotions and uh, just many, many reminders to make sure that I remember the reason for the season. So I go to multiple Christmas programs throughout the year and I see my kids do lots of different things, aka my daughter goes on stage and doesn't do anything because she's a troll um, and things of that nature. But in every single one, devotionals, emails and whatnot, I'm reminded, make sure. To remember the reason for the season and we all know the answer, it's Jesus and we get it, right. But in every single devotion or reminder or video or whatever that I've been to, I've heard this very interesting phrase. They all go up and maybe it's because they're speaking to kids or whatever. But each and every single one goes up there and they go, you know, the reason for the season is Jesus and I get it. And they go, but who's excited for the presents under the tree? I know I am. And they always ask the kids because they, they want them to answer. And they go, what, you, what do you really, really want? And then one person said, I want a live pony or a horse. Or something, right? And all the kids are like, oh, I want this, and they start screaming. And then, of course, you have to try to you know get their attention and you know, try to do this. But then right after, you know, they kind of settle everyone, then they go, but make sure you remember that the reason for the season is Jesus, that the thing you're waiting for, or the thing you want most, more than the horse, or more than the whatever, is Jesus. But If I'm going to be real with you for a second, and maybe you can be honest to yourself, if the thing you really want is a horse, is really Jesus going to stack up to the horse? Ask my wife. If I told her I was getting her a horse, sorry, she might have a little difficulty in thinking that Jesus was really the thing that she was waiting for. When you know you got all the presents under the tree, just waiting to be unwrapped and enjoyed, do we really, I mean, ask yourself, do you really more than the gifts, more than all the things, the traditions and all the stuff that you're going to be doing on Christmas morning, whatever, do you really, really, really want to remember Jesus? Or put it this way, does anticipating Jesus, celebrating him, does that bring you more joy, anticipation, euphoria, excitement, all this stuff compared to whatever it is that you got under the tree? For me, just me, no matter how much I say it or wish it or pray it even, the reality is harsh. I find that I can't honestly enter into the mystery of Christmas and do all these things if indeed I have all that other stuff just waiting for me, for me to indulge in especially those gifts. And let me tell you, I know a thing or two about Christmas gift openings. There was a time in my life where I lived with my adoptive family, my white family, the Zills, and their Christmas morning gift opening took legit four hours. Family of six. Four. Oh, with me it's six. Without me, it's five. But with me, four hours. I thought I was like in some sort of like Disneyland or something. It was crazy. But in the midst of it all, Jesus never entered my mind. He was the furthest thing from my mind, let me tell you. So for me, and maybe for you, in the presence, presence, like the presence, of the presence, the gifts, Jesus tends to get lost or nearly completely forgotten. Gifts and presents are not bad, in and of themselves are not bad, but if they drown out and nearly eliminate Jesus during the season of Christ or Christ must, we must... Having and so to avoid this kind of dilemma maybe you face or that I face or all of us face, the last couple of weeks we've been journeying through the, what we call the Advent. Con- try in earnest and being honest with ourselves to really flip Christmas upside down or right side up, whichever way you look at it, and truly await and anticipate and celebrate and delight in the fact that the God of the universe was born as a baby so he can save us from our sins and give us life eternal. And so for the last couple weeks we've been looking at different things the first week we looked at worship fully if you remember cola which is the random acronym that i made up create obey love and arrest right last week pastor goose told us that we need to spend less and treasure more right and today i think we wanted to look at the fact that to enter into the mystery of christmas we must all learn to give more that reclaiming christmas To be what it was meant to be, to be what it was intended, requires us to give more, and maybe better put, give better. Now, you might be wondering at this point, as astute listeners as you are, saying, wait, 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 wait. How do you, or how do I, Pastor Pete, spend less, which is to buy less and shop less, and somehow give more? The two don't make sense. Because if I spend less, and buy less, and shop less, then I have less to give, and therefore I can't really give more. Right? And some of you, if you know me well, you'll probably be like, well, and you, I know you. You're that weirdo who takes everything to the extreme, and so you, when you say spend less, you literally mean spend none. And actually, I remember from two weeks ago, you said that in your house, you've gotten rid of Christmas gifts altogether, and you don't do them. So if you don't have any gifts, what do you want to give? How do you give when you don't spend and therefore have anything to give? And how do you give more when you don't have much to give in the first place? And it's a fair question, I think, right? Because I think most of us think that spending less kind of equates or is on the same line to giving less. But the question I wanted to ask you today is what if we changed... The focus of this season from the act of giving or the exchanging of the giving which we do a lot and again I don't think they're bad because we do them here at the church every Christmas party we've had we've done some gift exchanges kind of fun It's uh, just a good way to kind of get to know each other but how do we take what if what happened if we change the focus from that from the act of giving to the gift itself and secondly what would happen if we were redefined completely what gift is right? and for me I think doing these two things Changing the focus from the the, the exchange of the gifts and redefining what a gift is will then help us to better give and then in turn help us to enter into the joy of Christmas and join what we have been calling the Advent Conspiracy. I don't think I can count the number of times I've heard this phrase, either to me or to others or some variation of this phrase. Pastor, what do I get my mom for Christmas? Or I hear, uh, like, you know, what do I get my girlfriend for Christmas? Because I don't know. Or, hey, Pete, what do I get my boyfriend for Christmas? Or what do I get my husband for Christmas? There's this dilemma, right? And for some of you, and this was back in high school, there's always a guy who would give it away and be like, yo, um, so we're doing this gift exchange thing. So what, what do I get? abigail and you all figured out that by the time he asked that you knew that that guy had a crush on abigail was trying to impress her give her the best gift and make her like him and whatnot and whatnot now it's a popular question and it's an important one in some ways because there's so much writing on the answer to this question right because a good gift or the right gift or a bad gift would make or break whatever relationship you're trying to advance in some ways right and oftentimes because you're a smart person you'll ask not just one person but you'll ask like six you ask your mom, maybe, if you're close to your mom, you ask your friend, or you ask, you think the coolest kid on, you know, the your coolest friend you have, or the most stylish friend you have, or whatever the thing is. And each and every single one, it seems to me, they all give you a different answer because they're most likely thinking about it from the the perspective. Like, what would I want for Christmas that would make me happy? And so the answer you get is never generally wrong. And the reason why I know that it's wrong is because I used to work at the Gap for four or five years during every Christmas and summer holiday. And my least favorite day every single year was the day after Christmas because everybody and their mama comes to the mall to return the gift they don't like. Which means most of the gifts we give are terrible or they're not appropriate or no one likes them. So, like, what do we do, right? So then the answer that people go with, in terms of what to get for people, is generally this. They either get the most expensive gift, or they get the most exclusive gift, like you get your your friend a pair of the the Yeezy Beluga 2.0s or whatever. Most expensive or most exclusive. Or if you can't get the most expensive or the most exclusive, you just buy as many gifts as humanly possible, little trinkets all over the place, and just give them like a boatload of stuff. And that's what we've done to kind of deal with this dilemma. And all of it requires more money, and in some ways, more the better. So not only do the presence, the actual, you know, thing of gifts makes it hard, not only does that make it harder for us to enter into the story, the gift giving itself is difficult, it makes it difficult for us to enter because there's a lot of stress going on to all of this. You don't want to be the person that gives the terrible gift. We've done a couple of White Elephant Free gift exchange, and there was always like, there was one gift that was like terrible, and you're like, who gave, who gave this gift? Everybody wants to know who brought this gift because it's terrible. Like, you don't want to be that guy or that girl. And so how do we enter into the mystery, right? So the, this thing of gift giving and this exchange is a really, really hard and difficult thing. And actually, uh, I think this little clip I'm about to show you from the Big Bang Theory, I think kind of encaptures it all. So Patrick, if you could cue the gift, we'll look at it, and then hopefully we'll dive in. But this is from the Big Bang Theory. The guy who's talking is Sheldon. I forget the girl's name, but he, like, I think nails, I think, what I'm trying to say. So go ahead and cue the...
1: This custom was later appropriated by Northern Europeans. I rock it.
0: says you haven't given me a gift you've given me an obligation there's another clip that i was going to show you if we had time but he gets a wedding gift right and it's like this comic book and then he's like oh no what have you done and he's like i just gave you you know thank you for being my uh, you know man of honor or you know groomsman. and he's like but this comic book in this shape you know this condition is a hundred dollars and i got you a gravy boat worth $88. Now I'm in your debt of $12, and somehow later on in life you're going to put me to use, and maybe you're going to make me help you move. Or he says, like, to kill a man. And there's kind of this joke, right? And then he goes, and I can't risk being in your debt. So he gets $12 out of his you know, wallet, and he's like, here, now debt-free. And then he goes, wait, I bought you a card, It's $2. Give me $2 back. And there's this idea that this gift-giving is like this. It's riddled with all sorts of things. And so, of course, it's difficult to enter into the joy when this is the primary thing that's on your heart and your mind. So how do we, right? How do we somehow expect in the midst of all of this to delight in, to celebrate, to glory in the God of the universe being born as a baby through a virgin 13-year-old peasant Mary in the presence of magi and lowly shepherds? How do we expect to do that? And as I suggest to you, how do we do that when my suggestion is that you have to give more or give better when I've just completely trashed the whole custom of gift-giving in the first place? Like, what do we do, right? And I think the thing that I suggest to you is that we redefine what the gift is. So let's do a little survey. What is, then, a gift? I think we can agree on some of these things. I think a gift is, one, something that is given and therefore received. If I give you something and you receive it, that's a gift, right? Right? And maybe this is why we call Jesus the gift, right, the gift of Jesus. He's a present, right, that's greater than all the presents, right? And to be sure, Christmas is founded on this idea of giving. Giving is at the heart of what Christmas is all about, which is why I'm telling you to give more. John 3:16. for God in this manner loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and those who believe or receive him shall have eternal life. Giving and receiving is a gift, right? Jesus is a gift given to us, sent to us, or shipped to us, if you will, and for those who receive him, he is indeed a gift. But as you know, just giving someone something doesn't mean that it's a gift. And just receiving it doesn't mean a gift. Because I can give my kids a amendment and that's not a gift. And I can give you a punishment and that's not a gift. I can give you an infection or a disease and that's certainly not a gift. So, secondly, then, a gift is not only something given and received, it's something personal, something that's good and delightful and beneficial to the person who receives it, something that brings you joy, something that they can enjoy and adds value to their life, right? If I give you something, hopefully it'll be meaningful to you. If I gave a guy, uh, cool, what is that? The oh, mascara, like eyelash, the crimper, not useful, hopefully. Right, Or if I gave you a pair of Yeezys, but your size is at 8 and I gave you a size 15, not all that helpful. Maybe you can resell it, but the resale value is going down, so that's another story, but anyways. So, something personal, something beneficial, and then third, I think it's a gift, is something given willingly and voluntarily, like without a return payment required, right? Because if you expect someone to repay you like Sheldon does, then it's not a gift. You're actually selling it. It's a commodity, right? I give you this, and you pay me back. That's a selling. That's not a gift. Something that was given freely is a gift, and that's why we say Jesus is a gift. He's given freely to us. No one expects, God doesn't expect a payment back from you. I hope you know that. He doesn't expect anything. All we have to do is receive the gift and believe that he is indeed the God who's been given to us as a gift. This is where Sheldon in the video clip has gotten it all wrong. He doesn't have to repay anyone for a gift. It's not obligations. Indeed, is a gift as long as it's free. But oftentimes I think our first response is to outdo or to repay the person who's given it to us. But in the gift of Jesus, you can't repay or outmatch or whatever it is that you want to do with him because he is greater than all of those things. How do you repay or outdo a gift that gives you life of perfection, harmony, and joy, a place of no tears, no shame, no pain, all joy and all goodness, all the time, forever and ever? You can't outdo those things. So to me, a gift is that. Something given, received. Something that brings you joy and is good for you. And something that doesn't require you to pay it back. But for some reason, it seems to me that our culture has added a fourth criteria to this understanding of the gift. And the fourth criteria, I think, goes like this. That the thing you give must have some sort of monetary value to it. The bigger or the greater, the better. Generally, it means it's something that's bought and not even re-gifted. Something bought. I think I also think that we think that a gift is something that is tangible, something you can touch and feel, something you can keep and therefore reuse and now maybe even resell depending on the kind of market you're in, For example, and I think it's sad but true, but let's say you gave your mom a handmade card and a note on the inside says, good for one back massage from giver. And then your sibling, you know, went to the store and bought a bouquet of flowers, got a nice whatever expensive bag, right, and then put it all in a, this big old package thing and then gave it to her. Unfortunately, I think for many of us, hopefully this is not your mom or maybe we just say it's your friend, we will appreciate the latter more than the first. Why? Because we think that a gift is something that's bought and has lots of value and monetary anyway. You can't monetize a back massage that you want to give to your mom, can you? And this, I think, is maybe the major issue with Jesus being the gift and the sea of all the presents that we have, right? Jesus fits the three criteria. He's given. He's personal. He's a savior born to you, it says in Luke. Right? And he was given freely and willingly and voluntarily, and you don't have to pay him back. But Jesus doesn't fit the fourth. He doesn't have a monetary value. He can't be bought. And in many ways, for us, he's not tangible, and he can't be resold, traded, or used for something else. So no wonder Jesus gets lost in the, in the sea of all the things, and no wonder he's not really thought of as the greatest gift because he doesn't seemingly stack up to the rest. And for some, Jesus isn't a gift at all, he's just a burden, right? He's someone that makes you do stuff or makes, uh, requires things of you and whatnot and whatnot. So then, then we have to get back to the question, how is then Jesus the greatest gift, and how is giving more going to redefine the way that we enter into the mystery of Christmas? Now, I think the key is in the little passage that I read to you, that Jesus' name, as told by the prophets, is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, we hear it all the time. We sing it all the time, and we say these things. But John 1.18, which is one of my favorite verses, it says, the word, you know, the word that was God, that was with God, and with everything was made through him, that's in the beginning. It says in John 1.18, the word of God became flesh and made dwelling amongst us. The transition I like best is that the word of God became flesh and pitched his tent and moved into the neighborhood. God's gift to us is one that came to be with us where we are so that he can love us, forgive us, die for us, rise for us, give us the Holy Spirit, promise that he'll return for us. A gift is one of presence and not the P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S presence, but P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E presence. Look it up if you don't know. A present that is forever present. Because the most memorable gift that you can give to someone is simply yourself. The best gifts are relational. And perhaps in our culture today we don't believe this, but I know to be true. And for anyone who's actually experienced this, I think you also know to be true. I've told this story a couple times, but when I was little, my life crazy was kind of crazy and, uh, you know, I lived in the States for a little while, and then I got shipped off to Korea. And then I was living in Korea with my mom and my harmony uh, when my dad was in the States. And one Christmas, uh, you know, ch- quick story, right, I got a Nintendo, the original Nintendo NES, not even NES, just the Nintendo system. And it said, from Santa. And if you know the story, I read the label, and I immediately got very upset and angry. And I yelled at my harmony, and I said, who is this from? And she's like, it's from Santa. And I was like, mm, the, you know, what it is, WTF, no, it's not. And then she's like, how do you know? And I was like, because Santa misspelled his name. Blessed be my grandma's heart, right? And so I knew it wasn't from Santa. It ruined it from there. And then when she, and so I demanded, because I'm like, this is where I think Kara gets it from. I demanded from her that she tells me who gave it to me. And then she goes, your dad sent it over from uh, U.S. And I go, oh, yeah. So I unplugged it out of the wall. And then I went out to my ba- se- seven-story balcony and I chucked it out of my window saying, I don't want this expletive, expletive, expletive. Now, why was I so upset? I knew, even at that age, That no thing, no gift, no present, no monetary thing you can buy could ever replace the thing that I was missing or the thing that I wanted, which was my dad's ever-present love and affection. See, I didn't want something my dad gave me. I wanted my dad the someone who loves me. And without the latter, the former doesn't mean anything. Because without the someone who loves you, Behind the something they give you, it means absolutely nothing at the end. See, this is why God doesn't just give us stuff. Yes, he will bless your life with many things, hopefully. But before he gives us stuff, he, before he gives us things, he gives us himself and his son. Because that is the gift that changes everything. That is the giving that he wanted to share with us. And interestingly, this past little bit here in Houston, God really affirmed this in me. If you don't know, I got ordained not too long ago, which is, to, I went from pastor to reverend, right? No big deal. But to my dad, it was a big deal. And so he wanted to come and celebrate that we were going to have a service here in Houston. And it just happened to be, ironically, or whatever you think it is, that Harvey was on its way. And we had no idea that Harvey was going to be Harvey when Harvey was on its way. And so my dad got on a plane that Saturday night and he came to Houston. And of course, that Sunday, as you know, nobody made it to church, it was just a mess. And then our house was nearly flooded. The water started coming up the driveway, and we had about an inch or like two feet before, you know, it got pretty bad. So we were stuck. Me, my wife, right, our kids, my mother-in-law, and then my mom and my dad stuck in this house. And so we played. They play with my, you know, my kids play with my dad. But then the moment, the first chance, we got a little chance to kind of go out and there was only about maybe like six or seven inches of water in our neighborhood. We got out and we realized we could make our way to H Mart because that's what Korean people do. (laughs) Then we went to H Mart, my dad and I. And it was just... I don't think the whole family went. Christina can maybe help with this, but I don't remember. All I remember, maybe I was in such a euphoria, I don't remember that anyone else was there. But me and my dad went, and we were, dr- we were strolling through H-Mart. Probably must have been a weird scene, because I'm a weirdo-looking person, I'm tall. And it's me and my dad going through H-Mart, and we were, not big, we were talking about how much Napa cabbage to buy. One is 99 cents, if you buy this many, if you buy them separate, it's this money. But the whole box is 20.99, so the box is a bigger deal. And I'm like, what are we going to do with all that kimchi dad? I can't eat all around? He's like, what if I make it for you? Da-da-da. So we're like sitting there, like going back and forth. People were like, what in the world is going on? There's no females around. It's just the two of us, right, in H-Mart during Hurricane Harvey, arguing about napa cabbage. So we bought the box, because that's who we are. And then we came home, and guess what we did for the next two days? We made kimchi, my dad and I. And the kimchi lasted until a week and a half ago. And it was the best kimchi ever. Well, maybe not ever. My Grandma's is better, but close. But my dad braved a crazy storm, got on a plane. He flew here, and he hates flying. He really only, I think in the last 25 years, he's done it twice. And he didn't even get to see the ordination because that service got pushed back a week. But as we were stuck, he gave me the greatest gift and that was his presence. The fact that he was there and we got to do these things together. I got to sit there and take instructions from my dad. Do this, do this, all this, marinate this and do this, mix this and we got to put the thing in and my kids got to get involved in all these things and we made so much kimchi and it was the best thing and every single time I took a bite of the kimchi, I thought of my dad and I thank God because now I finally had what I've been looking for my whole life and that's the greatest gift and that's relationship, that's love, that's affection And that's presence. This is the gift we have in Jesus. But so far greater than any story that I can tell to you. But I actually lied a little earlier. I'm sorry. Because without knowing it, though Jesus matches the three criteria of gift so perfectly, I think he actually matches the fourth one. We just didn't know it. See, Jesus is actually very costly. The gift of Jesus is the most costly thing you'll find. He gave up his heavenly throne of perfection, no pain, all joy and all love to enter into this messy place we call earth. He came down as a little tiny baby, and if you don't know how frail a baby is, trust me, You'll learn one day, and he was born in a manger with a bunch of animals, and then a king was after him, and and the king killed all the firstborn in the land, and all this stuff. And at the end, of course, as you know, he gave his life, which is the most costly thing that you can do. And he's tangible, actually. He's a face and a voice and someone who lived with real people in a real world, someone who was really born from a mother... Who's nursed by a mother, who's had diapers or whatever they used back then, by a mother who pooped and peed and did all those things. He actually did that. He actually died. He bled. He suffocated, and then he was buried, and he actually rose and walked out, and then he actually ascended into heaven. He's as tangible as it gets. And if you felt his love in your life, you'll know how tangible it is. And the Holy Spirit, we think it's this magical thing. It's not. It's a real thing. And if you've ever felt the Holy Spirit, you know how tangible that is. Because I think tangible, we think, means something you can hold. But I think tangible is something you can feel. Because there are gifts that you get that are like, oh, cool. And then there are the gifts that you get that immediately give you what we call the feels. And the best gifts are the ones that give you the feels, and the feels never go away. And indeed, Jesus can be kept. And indeed, he can actually be recirculated or shared or resold if you want to talk about it that way. Because you can share it to the world. How do you think you got here? If someone didn't share the good news with you or or your parents, you wouldn't be here. So this season, I think the call for us to give more of the gift that never stops giving. A gift you don't have to spend money for. At the end of Jesus' life, after he had finished washing the disciples' feet, and you might know this scene, he gets down and he washes all the disciples' feet. He looks at him and he goes, now that I have washed your feet. He says, do likewise unto others. He says, now that I've given this gift to you, now that I've blessed you, I've loved you, I've served you, I've gifted you, do it to others. Notice the command isn't now that I've washed your feet, wash mine. It's do it unto others. A, later, a little later in the, in the passage he tells them, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. He's saying now that you know how I love you, now that you know what my gift tastes like, feels like, seems like, smells like, whatever it is that you think it is, now share it and do it to everyone else because that's how they will know that you are my disciples and that you have life in me. And even after he resurrects from the dead as he's about to go off into uh, heaven, as he ascends, he says a new commandment. And he says, no, let me tell you something. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have it. It's mine. And because you're my disciples, it's yours. Now go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Because I'm with you to the end of the age. He says, now I've given you everything that I have. I've given you my love. I've given you everything. Go and share it with the people of the world because they need the gift that you have. The gift of Jesus is always one that's meant to be shared again and again. That's why giving more is how you enter into the mystery. And if you're not giving more, the gift that keeps on giving and never stops giving, then the season, unfortunately for many of us, will pass by and you won't experience it. And until you receive the gift and you start giving the gift... I suggest maybe we're not actually living into the mystery and the story of what Christmas is all about. This is why we've asked you to worship fully. To enter into the story. To think about what it means that God would come. This is why we're asking you to spend less. Because it distracts you from the actual gift that we ought to be receiving and giving. But now that you've spent less to receive the gift you're supposed to get then you can give more of it out and enter into the joy of Christmas. And for all of us, I think that means you give your time. You give your heart. You give your love. You give your energy. You give your creativity. You give your joy. You give your service and your grace. Next week, we're going to take a special offering from just you aside from the normal offering that you would give. So if you're one of those that takes a dollar from your parents, I'm not bashing it, and puts it in the offering, think about maybe how you might be able to save two or three more extra dollars by not going and spending whatever it is that you want to spend or whatever it is that you spend it on. And with that money, I'm hoping that we might be able to build someone a home in Haiti. And in doing so, we'll be able to give them not only a tangible gift that they can have, but we'll be able to tell them that this gift is because Christ is the one that loves you. And we, as Christ's followers, are giving you this gift as a show of how much we love through Him. So I'm asking you, I'm inviting you, and maybe challenging you to enter into this mystery. That from here on out, not just this year, but every year from here on out, this season would be about something more than all the things that we've all made it to be. And again, I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm not even saying those things are bad. But I'm just being honest with myself, and I hope you're honest with yourself, is that in the presence of all those things, when all those things are around, I can't focus on the real thing that this is all about. And so as you do, I hope you'll worship fully, spend less, give more, and as we'll learn next week, love all. So, I'm going to give you a time, just a second, to contemplate what this means for you. This is not one of those things, and it never is, but it particularly today, this is not one of those things where you hear it, and if you're hearing it, where you go out and you do nothing. There's actually a thing that I think you're being called to do, and I hope you would explore your heart and think about it and figure out what that is. Think about the people you love. But think about the people that love you and how much would it mean that more than just giving you something, which might be valuable to you, of course, but that they would give you the gift that gives you eternal life, a gift that takes all your shame and your pain and takes it away, a gift that makes you feel secure and loved, and a gift that you can then share with the people that you love. And let me just tell you, as a way of closing, as I invite the praise team back up, this gift that you might give, it might be costly. You might need to sacrifice a few things. But I hope you would find that in giving the gift that never stops giving, giving the gift of Jesus that is eternal and forever and greater than anything you can ever imagine, that you, and not just the people you share with, but you would experience the true joy of Christmas in Jesus the King. And that in doing so, that your life would be transformed to worship fully, to spend less, to give more, and to love all. So I'm going to challenge you in this moment as the praise team comes up and kind of gets ready and, 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 and leads us out in some worship. What does it mean for you? In this next week, to worship fully, to spend less, and to give more. And how will that be reflected in the way that you live this Christmas season? What is it that God might be calling you to do and asking you to respond to? And I hope, I really pray, my prayer for you all week long is that indeed you would take these words, you would, you would hear them, but they would implant them in your heart, and that you would be moved to do something And in doing that something that God calls you to, I hope you would have his presence, his love, his joy, and his grace ever abounding, ever more and more and more. So I'm going to pray for you, give you a little bit of time to think and to respond. And in the time of response, I totally forgot now he's going to come and light up the Advent candle. And I hope those candles and all the things that we do this season would help you to embrace the story that changes the world forever. So let me pray for you, and then Natalie, I'll invite you up to light the candle after the prayer, and then I'll give you a little bit of time, and then the praise team will lead us out. Father God, we give you thanks for this time. Um, Indeed, we've made this season about so many other things, many of them good. But in comparison to the thing, to you, the gift that keeps giving and never stops, is indeed, it pales. May our hearts sing no other name but yours. For everything else pales in comparison to you. And so I pray that you would help us, young and old, all the way across the board, to respond to this very thing. So that indeed this season is full of life and joy and wonder and in awe. That you, O God, would be ever present in our lives. So as we light up this Advent candle, as we sing of your praise, as we think and pray to you, we pray your Holy Spirit would be alive in this place. You would help us to hear you and know you and help us to have the conviction and the heart, the strength to do that which you're calling us to do. Speak to us, O Lord, and may we be ready to listen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Natalie's going to light the candle, I'll give you a little bit of time, and the praise team will lead us out.
1: Thank you.